0: Mission statement for safari as a way of life. I want to see and do so many things. I want this road to end so that I can start. The only problem is, where do I start? Where do I I start? start? I start? start? Where do I start? Where do I start? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nick's Nonfiction. I'm your host, Nick Munez. Today on the show, we have a very special, heartfelt edition. It is Jack Kerouac's On the Road. Many have attempted the Hunter S. Thompson vagabond travel writer lifestyle. Few have come as close as Jack Kerouac. This is a layered tale of running away from home and brings to light all the characters that you will find out there. Some are looking for love. Some are running from the law. Some of them want to abuse you. Some of them want to be abused. We will meet along our journey today Carlo Marx, the Colorado poet and author of The Denver Doldrums. We have the infamous, the outlaw, the cowboy, the American hero Dean Moriarty, a Tasmanian devil of light, a beacon for fun in this drab earth. Jack Kerouac also wrote the famous Dharma Bus book. However, he is not some hippie on a love bus tail like the electric acid Kool-Aid test. Mr. Kerouac is from the 1950s, and he is a no-nonsense jack. A straight razor to the chin every morning type of guy. Keep your woo-woo to yourself. We will be going from rainy New England to the old rivers of the South, the interstate and valley children of the West Coast. This is truly an American journey fulfilling every niche of culture that we have to offer out there. Yes, some of these characters will take you off the beaten path, but it is all to have you learn the journey is the destination. Man. About the author, Jack Kerouac... He was born in 1922 and passed in 1969, merely the age of 47 years old. You'll see from his lifestyle today as to why he did not make it that far. He actually passed away in Florida due to a hemorrhage from a lifetime of heavy drinking. Born in Lowell, Massachusetts, snowbirded down there to end the life. He doesn't consider himself a writer, he refers to himself as an iconoclast from the beat generation. Just one of those like post-war van dwellers coming back and trying to get their head on straight. He's a poet, a novelist. He went to Columbia University, dropped out um, when his football career ended, and then he joined the Merchant Marines, was medically discharged, married a few times, a really fast-paced lifestyle. This book takes place in the early years of Kerouac's life, and it really sets a precedent for him living on this higher vibrational plane he's what did uh read from shawshank redemption say you're either living or you're dying we're going to be able to characterize those people today quite binarily he has traveled america he's written books on catholic spirituality jazz promiscuity buddhism drugs poverty and travel he has experienced all these things firsthand He's been traveling with the hippie movement, but stayed counter to all of their radical issues. This show is for everyone today. It's going to read more like a movie than our informational non-fictions. But it's still non-fiction, holding it to that. Some of uh, Kerouac's other works include The Town and the City, On the Road, this bestseller for over 80 years now. Dr. Sachs*, The Dharma Bus, Mexico City Blues, The Subterranean Desolate Angels, Vision of Cody, The Sea is My Brother, Satori in Paris, and... Big Sir. that one's on my reading list because Hunter S. Thompson also spent some time on the Sur and was writing. Maybe I just got to go there. That's going to be on the show later to come. This guy, he is a representation of a new generation of American travel writers. Like Even before these two, we had the Ralph Waldo Emerson and the Nathan- Nathaniel Hawthorns who were going out into nature dr- riding on the Mississippi River and seeing what people of different cultures were about. And now we got our new wave. You got me, your host, Nick Muniz, who has lived on both coasts this year. I've driven over 3,000 miles, have seen I-70, I-15. My tire blew out in Death Valley between LA and Nevada, Las Vegas, 115 degrees, man. This is some on-the-road living. I wanted to live stream all of these drives, but if you're going to do something, do it right Eventually, I will get my van and we are doing what's called the Vanarchy Tour, bringing Vanarchy all over the United States, meeting people, videoing, doing podcasts, potential future for the show, learning from Mr. Kerouac today. There are less chapters in this one, only eight chapters today, but it's going to be a little bit longer per, so check out the timestamps below if you need to skip around and also go follow Harry shit on Instagram. There's going to be a handle change coming soon. We are unifying all the forces. Go follow while you can. Free memes every night. Mr. Kerouac's on the road. Chapter one, the greatest ride. Jack Kerouac wakes up with a hangover in his Patterson, New Jersey apartment. His fiancé is yelling at him for the last time, I'm leaving you, Jack. I'm sick and tired of your dreams of becoming a writer. Why don't you put a damn tie on? I'm going to leave you for your banker friend. Kerouac is left there sitting in his mire when he gets a call from a number that sends shivers down his spine. and It is none other than Dean Moriarty calling from 1,700 miles away in Denver, Colorado. He was born on the road. He will live on the road and probably die on the road. Dean had just dropped Mary Lou, a hooker, off in Denver and was coming back to the East Coast to get in touch with Jack Kerouac to hopefully publish some stories for him. But Jack, at one of the worst points of his life, having just been divorced by a fiancé, so left at the altar, is telling Dean you got to start writing like one of those Benny addicts that you're friends with. Nobody's going to write these stories for you. I know you have a crazy lifestyle. Get to it. Start putting pen to paper, Mr. Dean, and you'll learn throughout the story so much character analysis today. This guy is not capable of putting thoughts down on paper, but he lives the life everybody would want to. Maybe not everybody. This guy would spend a third of his time in pool halls, a third in jail cells, and the rest in public libraries. He's not an idiot, he is, you're going to learn so much about Mr. Dean today. Jack is romanticizing his life as he is stuck at home and in the classroom trying to put his books together and get this so-odd degree with his GI Bill from the Merchant Marines. We know that, quote, most men live lives of quiet desperation, not Dean. Put that one with Jack, though, Uh, the grass is always greener on the other side, you know, he's building up this picturesque life of being on the road, and he will get his spoonful of medicine soon. Dean arrives in New York, New Jersey, Patterson, four days later. They hit a diner together and get their picture taken for 25 cents, split it with a razor, put it in their wallet, just a good stamp of memory, and Dean tosses his off the top of the parking deck. He's like, pictures are for nothing. I got them all stored up here, taps on his temple, And he's saying, you got to write for me, Jack. i got all these stories. And Jack's like, it's not going to happen. I'm working on my own book. But I can set you up with all these intellectual friends I have from the university. The anthropologists. Obviously, Dean is not about this. This gets Jack's wheels turning. He's thinking, maybe if I had all this life experience as Dean, I'd be able to crap out these stories as he just burps them out at a bar to a stranger this guy speaks in stories and jack is trying to get some of this endless potential that he has dean heads back out west no deal for now it's july of 1947 the same year and jack had saved up 50 dollars, and he's ready to go see what the west coast is about visit dean over in denver He also has a friend living in San Francisco who has a sailboat. He says it's perfect out there. This guy has an ant that Jack can crash with while he writes his book. Mr. San Francisco, his name is Lemmy. Remy, like the rat. He is French as well. Lemmy was raised in Paris, and he was not in a happy marriage. You're going to get a taste of his wife later in the book. So Jack is ready to start planning his trip. He, like, gets maps of America. He's drawn all the red lines, got the spool hanging up on his uh wall. He told his aunt that he's living with in Jersey that he has no estimated time of arrival for San Francisco. And she was cool with it. You know, back then, this is in the 1940s, there was no Ted Bundy scares. All of that serial killer culture started in the 60s after, you know, we just learned the falsities behind the Manson murders so (laughs) the scare is what kept people off the road the first day Jack is on the road for the first time he hit a thunderstorm on his way to the train station junction he needed in Bear Mountain and he had to hike 40 miles north he realizes from that 40 mile hike in the rain this is not going to be a straight line there's (laughs) one master plan for this trip is not going to work you got to learn, little by little bit, to live like Dean. He spends a majority of his money on a bus ticket out to Chicago, just as long as he doesn't have to be in the rain anymore. The subtext here is that he just waited half a year while Dean invited him out to Denver for a free ride to slop together $50 worth of wages. And he just wasted that on a bus ticket. So, you know, if time is money, then wasted money is wasted life force and wasted time he could have been writing out on the road. Jack sleeps through the entirety of the bus ride tuckered out from his 40 mile ruck. He gets into Chicago, gets a room at the Y, just living in these cheap old places. This is the furthest west he has ever been. He's been on the east coast his entire life, so this marks a bit of a gateway to the west for him. Even though he's not in Missouri, he rides with a girl then from iowa all the way to the mighty mississippi gets to hear it roaring for the first time the brown water that you think would be nice and blue luckily this first girl dropped him off in iowa after they he got to see around her apartment a little bit you can't be too explicit a 1947 novel we're gonna keep it the first pg episode ever (laughs) there in des moines jack has another girlfriend that he met at college on his attempt to get to Denver a little bit sooner, he uses this girl's phone to call Dean. And he says, Dean's hyping it up. You got to get here immediately, Jack. Carlo Marx is here. Mary Lou, Camille, everybody is in the city. We're going to Larimer Street tonight. Jack was considering just blazing by, going all the way to San Francisco. But he's starting to learn the journey is the destination. You got to take all the stops. You see a scenic bypass. If you're in no rush, drink that view in. God made this canvas for you. Check it out, maybe unfortunately, this girlfriend in Des Moines wasn't willing to drive him all the way out to Denver to hook up with other girls. So he meets a 30-year-old drunkard who had a wad of cash sticking out of his pocket. And Jack was like, where are you getting all this money? Buy me some dinner and take me out west. (laughs) He loved his uh, go-getter attitude. And the guy drove him all the way to Nebraska. He said he couldn't pull all the way into Colorado with him because... He was running from the law. So Jack was realizing now, how many criminals have I been running with up to this point? At the next day, as Jack gets off in Nebraska, hitchhiking a little bit, and a rancher family passes by and invites him in for dinner. It's the first time he got to hear a southern drawl in real life, not on the talking box, the TV version. They were going, Ma, rustle up the youngin' some grub. That traveling boy must be hungrier than a horse. He's traveling... (laughs) By the end of the dinner, Jack is able to convince the farming son to head west with him. The next morning, they pass one of the notorious train crossings in Nebraska. They're sitting there for an hour, and instead of a hobo coming and panhandling for money at fucking stop signs, out west, in the middle east, in the middle of the country, the breadbasket's a little bit more of a go-getter mentality. There's a guy in a 10-gallon hat. He's got his cowboy boots on, and he clank, clank walks up to the side of the car. And he goes, you boys going somewhere, or are you just going? Jack made a big point about that in the book, symbolic way to ask people why they're traveling. The guy in the big old hat, Mr. Mystery Man, was asking if they wanted to run his carnival for them, and they would get a 30% cut on whatever they haggled from the people. Free rooming, free board. But the boys decide against it. They got somewhere where they think they need to be, and they would feel bad swindling all these poor Nebraska families out of their money. Jack and the farmer boy part ways at Gutenberg. It was a fun leg of the trek. Time to move on. He comes across a couple blonde farmers with a flatbed truck. And this is when the party really starts. There were 12 people in the back of this pickup truck just from all over the country. Some Chicago, some Iowa. He probably thinks it drove by him before. And the blonde ones immediately, when they see Jack on the side of the road asking to hitchhike, yee everyone's going, there. room for everybody, hop on, we passed the right man. They get happy when they see a hitchhiker, not scared. And they have been working on a bottle since Des Moines, and they give Jack a good amount of liquor up. He is peeing off the side. They're like peeing onto other cars, and we think we're badass for mooning other people on the highways nowadays. Absolute lawlessness on this flatbed truck cruising underneath the stars as everybody takes turns driving this was one of his favorite parts of being on the road to start he had never been this far west he had never hitchhiked with a stranger and he's getting a writer's full of life in one trip as they start to approach the rockies he buys some whiskey one of the kids on the truck gets off with jack in cheyenne wyoming which is only like a 90 minute hitch down to denver A lot of the people on the truck were saying, before you get off, make sure you check out Ogden, Utah. It is the traveler's hub of America. Something cool to know. Not sure if it's like that today. Doesn't really come up in the story later. This was a great time for Jack. Drinking, making fun of each other under the stars. Mr. Kerouac has made it to the Wild West on his first time on the road. Gets off the flatbed truck and watches the most fun ride of his life so far take off with acquaintances that he will never see again. Chapter 2. Rocky Mountain ha. John Denver Come on In Cheyenne He hits the bars With a guy named Montana Slim Where he spent Five out of the seven Of his remaining dollars And Jack says It was worth every penny Cause he got to hear From this native Montanan About the western range As Unexplored, Like 80 years earlier, Denver, where the Platte River meets the Cherry Creek River, is where the first gold rush started. And he's saying up in the west of Montana, there's all this new land that you can go to. Maybe you're going to hit the road up there eventually. Then, in Wyoming, on the way down to Denver, he met a girl at a nightclub. They went to a bus stop. And he's going, this bus stop reminds me exactly of Newark, New Jersey. There's just spit And cigarettes on the ground. What am I doing here? I guess it's a little bit nicer to be with this girl. But this is what I went uh, on the road for. He starts hoofing it all the way down to Denver. He said he was on the Foothill Highway. Which I don't think is the same name as it would have been back then. I used to ride my motorcycle up. It's called Freeway 36. Gorgeous views of the mountains. You are like in God's lap. It's where the fucking 14,000 feet uh, mountains start. You got to see it for yourself. I will be throwing pictures into this today about my drive when we're going over 70 and such. He was taking a nap on the side of the road near all these mountains when a young businessman pulled up. It was around Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National. And he picks him up, says, we're going to Denver now. He's driving 90 miles an hour. They're passing all the smokestacks, the rail yards, the red brick buildings, all the churches, and he finally gets off on Larimer Square. He is in the heart of Colorado. I have gotten laid on Larimer Street. I have been comedically rejected on Larimer Street. <laughs> With the pandemic now, it has been blocked off the traffic, and they painted a giant mural in Larimer Square. It looks completely different He is totally immersed in the Denver experience upon coming off his first leg on the road. He calls a friend's mom from his hometown. She's working at the Native American Museum of Colorado. And their son, Chad, swoops him up in a Ford. This guy lets Jack know that his buddy, Tim Gray, has a crash pad on Colfax, which he takes him to. There is no other than the Carlo Marx who takes a liking to Jack. They're both writers. They hit it off up front. And... Unlike Carlo, Jack has a college education, so he can write these long-form books rather than Carlo's sad poetry. Jack also picks up that Carlo has been shitting on Dean off the bat. There's a little bit of civil war between these two guys. They're too strong of characters to be together. Dean also probably wanted uh, Carlo to write for him, which Carlo is not about. He's saying the same thing as Jack, but not as nice. You gotta do the shit for yourself. When they have dinner at Chad's, Jack meets his weird older roommate who invented a mist fan. He ripped off some people back on the East Coast, but he was paying his rent, paying with these mist fans. No patent office out there. It's the Wild West. The topic of conversation at the dinner was nobody knows where Dean is, but he's in Denver somewhere. After dinner that night, Jack and this guy Major... He's going to ruin some stuff later in the book, also shows up at the apartment, and he's deciding, as long as Jack is here, I'm going to squat at Tim Gray's one bedroom on Colfax. It does have a massive living room. The other guys in there are not going to take a liking, though, to too many people. He's trying to work on his, like, H.P. Lovecraft-level short stories, none of which have yet been published. They drink good wine together and then hit the Colfax bars. Jack meets a girl, his first name, named Babe. She's a tennis player and a surfer from California. Babe knew someone who was an acquaintance of Dean, and she said that Dean was out on the town earlier that night, and at this very moment, he is in bed with two women together. And also at the bar is Camille, one of Dean's girls, who is not quite happy to hear this and takes major and jack and everyone over to dean's place and when jack goes into the dean dungeon for the first time he sees a self-portrait a nude self-portrait of dean with a giant hog dean slithers out of the bedroom naked and embraces jack naked gives him a big hug penis to the belt he says you gotta as soon as this uh waitress i know gets off duty her name's rita bettencourt you're gonna be hooking up with her they all go to downtown Denver again. It's getting towards 2 a.m. They're drinking in the alleys. Drink. Uh, they just started reviving alleys in Denver. There's this place called Milk Block. It was redone. Go check it out. After Jack spends his last dollar, he calls it a night. And as promised by everyone, they're making their cocaine drunk promises. We're going to go take a day trip into the mountains tomorrow. It's going to be amazing. Luckily, it happens. Dean meets up with Major and Jack in the apartment, and he's going, yeah, you guys thought I was having a threesome when I came out? It was a foursome. That is a certified orgy, ladies and gentlemen. Eddie was a buddy who uh, was looking for work. So him and Jack, the next morning before the day trip, went and secured some manual labor jobs, a bright and early 4 a.m. crack of ass start. After that, they pick up Carlo Marx at his Grant Street apartment, which is looks like a Russian saint's tomb. Again, with the red brick, candles lit everywhere, dark shades. He has a huge stack of poems called the Denver Doldrums, which are poetry, but sad poetry. And it all has to, it's like a cliche kind of, with a deeper meaning. They said this apartment was on Grant Street. This is where my first job in Denver was, Cosmo's Pizza. I was a fucking vampire for three months. I made like 40 bucks in tips a night, but you got to be kidding me with this. Who's going to deal with all those drunkards coming off of Broadway and serving them some slices? You get some numbers there, too. I'm sure Jack Kerouac learned a thing or two about that. One of his doldrums was called Eddie Oedipus Eddie, which was about Dean as a child of the rainbow. They have a beef, as we went over before. We're going to learn a little bit more about Dean's past, but Dean looks the part of a vagabond drifter. He's missing a thumb, which is the funny part. He's a hitchhiker without a thumb. At least he's not sitting around with his thumb up his ass. Dean grew up riding the rails. His dad would, like, run jobs with him, criminal activity, and there's rumors that his dad is still floating around Larimer Street, and he's always thinking maybe one day being in Denver I'll run back into him. Not going to (laughs) happen. That's the hope that Dean holds on to. So they're all getting ready to head to the mountains. They're passing Wazi Street. They're about to catch a train up to the day trip, all wondering why. They're about to travel into the middle of the wilderness for no good reason. And Carlo drops one of his infamous doldrums going, It's that last thing that you can't get. Nobody can get to the last thing. (laughs) What was the uh, Dostoevsky point? He's always going, There is not one thing that you're going to fix about your life that's going to make everything make sense. Get used to the incompleteness that is life and learn to thrive within the gray. Wrapping up our leg in Denver, they hop out of the whip in the suburbs, round up the girls at Babe's house. They head to Central City, which is an old mining town. You ride up 70. Homie, the first (laughs) like 20 miles of leaving Denver and going up into the mountains, you are at a 6% incline, so do not take a car more than 10 years older up this road you go under a tunnel uh under copper mountain where there are legitimately people skiing on top of you you watch them as you go into the tunnel then you get to frisco lake just a beautiful oasis up there this is the type of scenery these guys are soaking up up there and it's romantic it comes to be nighttime and there's this scenic point not sure i have the name where they saw Tourists from California, people from all over the continental North America were there to check the top of this 1,400-foot mountain. Those are the tallest peaks in the continental U.S., except for you go up to, like, Mount McKinley in Alaska. That's 32,000 feet. These are the highest mountains in North America and Colorado. You are literally on the roof of America. You are partying with the clouds. It feels like you could touch them. I swear to God, the blue of the sky in Denver has a different hue. Might just be the altitude sickness. It's a beautiful place. They wind up getting kicked out of all the bars in this hometown. A guy cursed out one of the bartenders and they just cut them out of the strip. So this entire group, the car full of Babes Babes and Jack's Maniacs, (laughs) they go and howl at the moon for the rest of the night before driving downhill cooking at 90 miles an hour back to Denver. Jack spends around three more days working his 4 a.m. job, just scrapping together enough money to get to the West Coast. And he spends those three days in the afternoon not knowing where Dean is, walking around seeing all the, what are they called, honkies, just like the really bad white people, I can say that, of Colfax staff. have the biggest white trash, the fucking crackers. Jack had seen enough, he knew it was his time to go. He got a telephone message off to Carlo, who stayed in Frisco. He's like, this is amazing. Maybe my dull drums will become a little bit happier if I stay by this lake. There are people literally sailing 10,000 feet in the air in Colorado. There's sailboats in this lake. Jack realized he did his entire Denver leg, and he spoke to Dean for a total of five minutes, probably. Chapter 3, The Golden Coast. He takes an uneventful bus ride to San Francisco, wakes up at the train station in Oakland, and it looks exactly like the Patterson, New Jersey bus stop that he left 3,200 miles away. But this time, he got some warm California air on you. He gets off on Mission Street and 3rd, follows his ears to some jazz, little doo playing, and has to find his buddy Remy. When he finally gets to the apartment in Mill City, he climbs through the window Remy is laughing hysterically, well-dressed, tall, slick guy and Jack with now 3,200 miles of stink on him. He's uh, hanging out with like a married guy. He's like, oh, this is the single out there guy swiping on Tinder lifestyle. Remy is one to hang out with collegiate women. He's starting to set up Jack with his uh, more familiar women, the, again, the what are those called? The socialites of New York that he's chilling with. Two weeks later, the whole situation is becoming a little bit unbearable. He's getting the feel for San Francisco. The wife, like uh, Remy's wife, was just bashing his journey. She's like, what are you doing? You're trying to find passion to write a book? Shouldn't be using that to provide. I mean, the comical part I find of it is that he was the butt of the joke for 14 days and then became undeniably the most successful out of any of them. He spends a week sipping coffee and scribbling, writing a shitty script that he eventually got published in New York. So maybe he did get a little motivation from Leanne was her name, Remy's girl. She wouldn't even read the script. And then you got Remy, who's like, I'll do anything to help you out, Jack. I mean, I know you are giving your life to this cause. I have a buddy whose dad knows W.C. Fields. Maybe he could connect you with some Hollywood producers, get you a network deal. Remy and Jack, they're becoming boys more by the day. They start playing with this 38 Magnum going shooting up in the Bay Area. And uh, maybe Leanne is getting a little bit jealous that Jack is uh, more of a good life partner than Leanne is for him. She kicks him out of the apartment. Jack stays in a flop house down on Market Street up in San Francisco still for a while. He's got blood-stained walls. (laughs) It's nothing to him because before... Jack moved out. Remy gave him a copy of some Dostoevsky, he said it was. And he's like, this will depthen your consciousness as you write this story. Like a European novel, you, you should keep it light and fun like you are. But this needs to include the human condition. All kind of doublespeak here. Jack's getting at This book is more than just fun road stories. Try to read below the context of my silly voice today because there are some really big lessons that you can learn. Like so, one day in the flop house, Jack is starting to really sink into his depression, and he was walking by a jewelry store and gets this sudden impulse to rob the place and he's going, I've never had this impulse before. I'm thinking maybe it's time for me to leave San Francisco. My time here is rounding up, just like when he was starting to see all those hobos and identify with them in Colfax on a in Denver. Even um before then, he's thinking back to when he was living with Remy for those two weeks. He would help Remy steal grocer pallets, bringing it back to the house. And the, uh, Leanne was like, where are you getting these groceries? This is unethical, right? Because Sam Walton of Walmart needs to make another couple billion dollars, charging $5 for bacon. Dude, how come nuts are $10? <laughs> Makes no sense. I would steal nuts all day every day if I was Kerouac. Jack is about to start heading back east. He never got to spend a day on the boat even, but his canvas bag is all packed and it's time to beat it. He has a beer at the saloon with a wagon wheel on the front and then he's on the road again. He gets a truck down to Tracy, which is a lumber yard. He works for a couple of days, gets some money until he hitches all the way down to Bakersfield, California, and finally to L.A. There was a cute Mexican girl that he met at the bus station there, and they hit it off immediately. They wound up staying together through their time in California. Jack starts to get a little bit weary that she's um, playing him. She's a gold digger trying to get a piece of the book when he finally publishes it. Jack offers her work in New York, but she's like, I don't need a pimp. What do you mean? (laughs) Jack's going, oh shit, am I been hanging out with a hooker? Maybe he's Jesus, Mary Magdalene. Don't be so judgmental, people. The girl's name was actually Terry, and she was already heading, planning on heading back to New York herself. And they did not do well in L.A. together. He was calling it, Jack Kerouac, the jungle of loneliness and brutality. He felt disconnected. He said even New York holds some camaraderie for the city. I wish, guys, for the three months I did a summer in L.A. I mean, I'm back in Denver. I am Dean Moriarty. This is the subtext to the show today. Spoiler alert. <laughs> the people you meet in L.A., man, they are all it's self-absorbed. The women, I got rejected pretty hard for the materialism. Your boy's got the long hair now, man. It's not going to be. <laughs> You're going to do much better on the streets of Denver, Larimer, and Market Street looking like the artist that you are. Jack is learning this question rather fast, especially with Terry by his side, who only cares about the moolah, before heading back out east. They stopped at what was called the Simon Legree Fields. They were doing 300 pounds of cotton bales a day for $3, and Jack, this was pretty good money back then. Jack was having the best time having sex with her in the middle of a vineyard under the stars. They would have barbecues with all of the Mexican workers at night. Moonlit, sexy, fun on the West Coast. Jack again realizing he did five minutes with Dean. He was only in Hollywood for a total of four hours. He stole a Hollywood placard in that time. He's realizing this is not the city for him. They make it all the way to Columbus and then uh, Pennsylvania together too before Terry splits away. ways. He's thinking she found a pimp out there to trick her out. the last of jack's food to get him back to new jersey where cough drops unless he was just really feeling sick and tired at that point he was subsisting on codeine in the form of fucking fart. when he finally gets home he sees that his aunt bought a new electric fridge with the california money he sent home from the farm he didn't need it he was having the most fun and he wasn't spending a dime he comes back to his half-finished manuscript sitting on his desk his first lap around the country and he sits on his bed he knows he can't sleep ever he starts chain smoking cigarettes through the night writing like L. Ron Hubbard (laughs) that's gonna take us to chapter four northeast reunion Jack stays at home for the year and finishes his manuscript goes to school on the G.I. Bill Which brings us to around the Christmas of 1948. He was down in Virginia at his older brother's house. And none other than Dean Reno comes zooming through the Virginia house. He has been working on the railroads for $400 a month. Making some good money, ready to work hard and now play hard. He's telling Jack, you need to check out the South. But the South is not particularly fond Of my kind of crazy, Dean says. He's self-aware. He knows that he's a crazy dude. He's always just looking for the place that's going to allow for his level of fun. Dean met the friend Ed Dunkel while working on the rails. He's a really big guy. Found a girlfriend up in San Francisco. And they were trying to make their way up there as well. But Jack was like, I was just there. Can we do something different? They're going to head there together. Ed Dunkel is going to be a big character as well. This guy fucks. Ed Dunkel Pulls. They had plenty of stories when uh, they were riding around D.C., Ed, Jack, and Dean, and they were going, we left so many girls in hotel lobbies when we were making our way up to D.C. to see you. Jack is not sure if it's the travel bug or he hasn't been on the road long enough or just Dean the bug himself is getting under his skin. Jack is thinking he's gotta go see the South. Up to New Jersey, Dean gabs the entire way back, telling road stories, tells Jack, you're not staying here for a night. Run in, grab your canvas back, and let's keep this energy rolling. Jack's kind of sad to leave, though. He just met this Italian girl named Lucille, who he thought he could have married. Damn! But again, he almost married that girl before who left him because he followed his passion and was writing a book. When they were leaving New Jersey, they're headed south now, remember? They were on the Jersey turnpike, and Dean had... (laughs) <laughs> the uh, windshield froze over so he wrapped a scarf around his head like an Arab and then he pulled the Ace Ventura, stuck his head out the side of the car in order to see past this frozen windshield. Luckily they didn't get pulled over there. Point was they got pulled over later in the south because of their California plates and they got almost all of their road money taken away because they were double ticketed and so Dean's going, this has happened before don't worry, we'll have enough for gas we're just going to have to pick up hitchhikers <laughs> So now they're on the other side of the hitchhikers. They got the whip. Most of the conversation on the way down south was about how Dean was sent to reform school as a kid. And he was never able to stop stealing. Maybe because he was missing that thumb. What's that thing in Farsi Arab law where they cut off your fingers if you steal? So maybe there's another layer that Kerouac was trying to give to us. What is that? Sharia law. That's uh, cancel culture. Sharia law in America. There's a Denver doldrum for this point when they were driving south. It was all about how Dean was bred in the legal system, kind of like Mr. Manson we learned about a couple months ago. Dean pulls out the Mark's doldrum. He says, I could have killed someone throwing rocks as a kid and been acquitted. You know, you're not going to put a kid in jail. The legal system makes getting caught dangerous, not the act. So Dean is uh, trying to show us I like to put it, we don't have a justice system in America. We have a legal system because the laws are unjust. What is a victimless crime? Could someone give me a better definition for what that is? I'm a fucking criminal justice major. The answer is no, you can't. That is right, vitriol straight into your ears. Dean and the boys, they're heading down south. They had to pick up this hobo called Solomon. And Solomon was one of the smelliest guys. He ruined the upholstery of the car forever. And... Jack was trying to make a little bit of a biblical comparison because the guy left without paying, if you're familiar with some Bible stories. But they still wind up stealing the entire way down. They didn't have a religious epiphany. The guys, Ed Dunkel, was in the back of the car. He would always cause a commotion in the gas stations while the boys would either steal cigarettes or fill up a tank of gas. Again, Rex Tillerson, Secretary of State, Exxon CEO. Does this guy need another $40 from a couple kids that are broken trying to get across the country? I don't see this as a moral quandary that they took a tank of gas. (laughs) I mean, it totally is. Don't put me in jail as a... You know there's pre-crime now? Okay, people? I'm not going to get off topic today, but what the hell? I can't say shit like that on the show anymore. These are jokes. I forgot this was a pretty big point before we get to the next chapter. We're already fucking halfway through. This was called the fucking Northeast Reunion, so pretty pertinent. It was at Lucille's. It was a New Year's Eve party rather than the Christmas party they were just in Virginia for. They went with all of. Jack's friends and, uh, you know, Carlo, Mary Lou, Lucille were all in New York for this party. And Jack has one of these picture-perfect moments. This guy, Tom, who owns the apartment, is playing the piano for everybody. People are smoking. Tom, one of these socialites, these upper-class people, has two libraries in his house. And the girl that Jack left him for was there. And he's going... I don't care anymore, I took my trip on the road I really don't need to be with this girl anymore I know she's trying to make me jealous the entire night but it means nothing to me these two boring people can live out the rest of their life together him, her and Tom he's like, it's a perfect fit these people that go out and do their odyssey wind up becoming the matchmakers a lot of time. maybe they know how to read people they can see people's character better and know who to match Jack is more secure with himself is the point as he's Like a high school reunion, if you are accomplished, if you have accomplished what you've wanted to, you're going to have so much more confidence at this place. And Jack is a different person than he was two years ago. A better person from hanging out with a psychopath. This is probably because he's analytical. He's not just um, going along for the ride for a ride. And I said psychopath there. Dean is a psychopath. I will give this to you. But he is not psychotic. A psychopath is someone who follows their own laws. Again, fucking laws are bullshit. So he's, uh, sure, by the standards of society, a psychopath. But at least he's not a psychotic fuck who's just running around and throwing bricks through targets and looting. Now I'm saying? We're out in Denver now. When the looting starts, the shooting starts. Family reunion's over. They're heading down <laughs> on New Orleans. Sorry for the non-continuity there. They got an 1,800-mile journey ahead of them. Chapter 5, on the road again. This time Jack told his aunt he was only going to be gone for 15 days. He knows he's going to be gone for much longer. And the point after they got all those tickets, picked up Solomon, the religious hobo... They landed in New Orleans and got <laughs> met up with one of Dean's older friends. He's friends with people that are in their 50s, 60s. And this man, Old Bull Lee, is the most youthful 70-year-old you will ever meet. He's living in Mobile, Alabama. And he has a big enough house where he can have all of these vagabonders stay. The I really suggest this book as a read. It's a great story. It feels like a movie. The point here is that this guy... Old Bull Lee is basically just an older version of Dean. He went to Europe. He did so much more. He has so much life experience. We're going to learn from him here. The first day, they have another one of these picture-perfect days. His Old Bull Lee's wife was cooking them loafs of breads. They were all throwing knives at um, freshly chopped wood that all the boys were doing. Some of the girls were cooking up lemonade. It's like an old southern, it's like a good old south type of afternoon. His wife is a uh, white Russian that he met in Germany during World War II, Old Bull Lee. He was the biggest coke trafficker of the 1930s. He would boil down codeine into cough syrup. This guy literally invented scissorp lean, in the 1930s. I met a guy in uh, Golden, Colorado once at this fucking dive bar. It's called Ace's High. And this guy, he told me that he... Um, <laughs> played on a cover band with Led Zeppelin up in Vancouver, and he also told me how he was the biggest cocaine kilo trafficker from New Mexico to Colorado. These road people, I'm telling you, this story is spot on. <laughs> Old Bull Lee. I should have started calling the butt guy at the bar Old Bull. He had a thing for the 1910s, which was what he considers, you know, every generation has what they consider the true America. Old Bull Lee said 1910s were crazy. You could buy morphine on the streets or Chinese opiates. You could buy that uh, Coca-Cola with cocaine in it. He had a large amount of hate for Washington bureaucrats, liberals, and cops. Old Bull Lee... At a time, was a minister in Kansas. He studied medicine in Vienna. He didn't get the degree. If he said that, I would have known he was lying. This guy has done it all. He's lived, and this is why it's one of the only older people that Dean will uh, stay in touch with. So Ed Dunkel and his girl, Mary Lou, were basically just leaned out on the caeserp. Jack was trying to absorb all of the details of this guy who's gushing with wisdom for his books jane is serving drinks who winds up hitting it off with jack so they're hitting they're they got the booze they got the friends they got the women it's another great time one of the biggest questions that jack was unable to answer he's like i'm a writer i'm so articulate i could do an sat in one hour old bully asked him a five-word question what are you traveling for and dean was like you know how it is and an old bully just fucking nodded and looked at him and jack was like I, I i want to write a book i don't know and he realized these types of questions why are you traveling if you ask someone that at a hostel it might unearth more about their personality than you want it to hear but it's a good thing to check in with yourself and ask yourself why am i on this trip Dean was asking Old Bowl where the best bars in New Orleans were, and he's going, none of the uh, ideal bars are here anymore. He's going, the 1910s were the only time there was a good bar. There was uh, brass railings, kick bars, spittoons. It was 10 cents a whiskey shot. You always had a guy playing old-timey piano. Now, all you get is this, like, chromium furniture, drunken woman. He said it. Fags. Hostile bartenders, anxious owners. That is 2020 nightclubbing in a sentence they all argue uh, about bars for the rest of the night and that'll suffice they don't need to always take it a notch up what bar are we going to next where are we going where's on the road they are chilling at old bull's house in the morning jack walks to the levee and lee is already there reading some franz kafka some existential shit and he said what is a river when you take the rights away from the people Old Bully, having been around in the 1910s, he saw, like, the latter half of the Tom Sawyer river riders who could just fucking cut down a tree and hang on to the log. But now, if you want to sail on the Mississippi River, you have to buy, like, permits. You have to prove you'll get boarded by uh, boat cops or whatever. It's not the free America that it used to be. You see how it deteriorates with every generation. Bigger points here. Franz Kafka was obviously keen to this. He read smart guys like that, and you will be a Kerouac in no time. Jack is paying attention now. Every ship that he sees float by on the river is a commercial liner. As they walk home... Jack was all enthralled at the way Old Bull could just talk nonstop. You know, shelves, shelving, wood shelves aren't like they used to be. Nothing is like it used to be. I've seen indestructible tires when I was in World War II in Normandy. Microwave dinners used to be warm all the way to the center. They had anti-cavity toothpaste. (laughs) Maybe just when you get to be an old man, you're really good at complaining. Carlo made it down there. He was at the reunion, so he trekked down with the boys when they got those tickets and Ace Ventured it up. Carlo was enamored with Bull and was writing twice as much when he was around that guy. So Carlo thinks this weenie Dean is his muse. He needs to be around some older wisdom like old Bull Lee who's intaking the Franz Kafka and could probably then write a better doldrum. On the last night, they were all there. They all did a 100-yard dash together, and they said Old Bull Lee won. A 70-year-old man. Come on now. You got Dean's skinny, groucho-marks-looking face. Couldn't beat him. The guy who literally runs away from every problem in his life couldn't win in a foot race against a geezer. What do heck? <laughs> the next morning, because Jack and um, Old Bull Lee hit it off, he gave him a little bit of a lesson down on the railroad lines about women and he was going watch out they're always looking for your wallet remember this was a theme earlier it's going to be a theme later sal's gi bill jack if i've been saying it i'm sorry he refers to himself as sal in the book because you know jack was an insult in the 1950s oh look at this jack over here it's like uh calling someone a karen nowadays So he starts going by Sal's. I'm sorry if I mix that up. I'll keep it to Jack. He got his GI Bill in the mail from his aunt. So they are ready to ball out, go out west, hit up California. They keep to their um living. <laughs> they live below their means and then some. They continue to steal cigarettes and gas because they know how quick money can evaporate. They stop in Beaumont. Dean and Jack pull a bimbo that's in... <laughs> not kind she was one of these travel chicks in wyoming she was trying to steal some of their produce like they got out at a gas station and she was trying to steal from them all they were stealing and they spit some game and was like oh you're trying to steal from me maybe you could pay for this another way this part would be rated r so we'll skip over as they get closer to san francisco mary lou the one in the back seat with ed dunkel had been hitting on jack some more and Dean let her know, he's like, <laughs> Dean let Jack know, this chick is crazy. Like, I dated her for a while, not only is she a pathological liar, Mary Lou is a whore. She will leave you for a guy who will flash around a $2 bill they had back then. They made it all the way through Texas, they went up again through Bakerfield, and this time, as they drive, Dean is always spitting his road stories, but now Jack has a couple of his own with him in. Inez, no, I'm sorry, that's racist. Terry, the Mexican girl he met, he's saying, Well, we worked at that farm. I fucked her at that bus station. He's got his own road stories to contribute now in the car rides. And they make it all the way up. You know, it's like an eight-hour drive from L.A. to San Francisco. Fucking wild state right there. It's not even like when I drove to California. It feels like you're going into a different country. I would think that this is the only state, it's the only place I've ever seen it in the Union that when you drive in, you have to have your car checked. I've driven into Canada. It felt like I was fucking going somewhere else, and then, you know, half the road signs are in Spanish. (laughs) Not America fully. As they make it finally to San Francisco, Dean gets out at uh, Camille's house, who was his old fling there, and he was considering marrying for a long time. And Mary Lou and Jack start to hit up San Francisco together maybe he could do it better this time with this girl's help he's realizing this girl (laughs) Dean was right as soon as uh, some guy at those Market Street flophouses would offer a couple dollars to uh, you know cook her dinner doing air quotes for the night she was leaving Jack in the dust and this ends basically like it did last time they were gone for longer than two weeks they made it all the way down south they did like a clockwise trip around the US this time And Jack is asking himself, what did I learn this time? What can I take out? He's not just trying to get drunk in the back of a pickup truck with Hicks. And like as fun as that is, he's now taking what he can from people like Old Bull Lee. Takes us to Chapter 6, Highway to Hell. They're back in New York. It is after the spring semester of 1949. And some of those GI checks are ready to be reclaimed in Denver. He has a couple hundred dollars in his pocket and is considering settling down in Colorado. Pretty crazy. Nobody in Denver from the old gang is there. And as soon as Jack gets to Colorado this time, he's working at the Curtis Street Fruit Market. And he's having some more of these new thoughts. Because remember, first time in Denver, he's like, I gotta leave. I'm being a hobo. Then in San Francisco, reading the Fyodor, he's like, I'm starting to get into crime and shit. I gotta leave. And this time, instead of letting those anxieties get to him, he's exploring the ideas jack is going i kind of wish i was black why have i never had this feeling before <laughs> and his rationality was the streets would accept me more i would have a better chance at being a jazz musician or any type of artist is his point and like um i don't know people have expectations they see a tall white guy like me and i like to dress under the radar like i'd usually wear some fucking polo shirts but a little harder to blend in with the long hair nowadays a hat will have people calling me sir and then when i got a ponytail people will spit on me <laughs> jack is learning this the hard way but he's not letting it get to him this time and he is collaborating with carlo to write a couple doldrums of his own jack wrote the one down in denver down in denver all i did was die to hell or to colfax <laughs> super depressing one I have seen a uh, street sign on Colfax Avenue that is a one-way sign, and they spray-painted over the E in one to make it an O, crossed out the O in one, and then they spray-painted the word underneath it out. So it says, no way out. And there are a few one-way signs on Colfax, obviously spray-painted by the hobos, that say no way out. That's more artistic than half the shit in the fucking contemporary art museum here. While in Denver, Jack stopped at Camille's apartment and she was crying when he showed up without Dean because Jack is realizing all the girls are just using him as their in for Dean. It's like, uh, you know, girls do like crazy, but they want to be the one that the crazy changed to for. I don't know why. Like, if you like crazy, why would you want to change to crazy? It's like why Remy and his chick, Mary Lou, get divorced at the end of the book. Not that people shouldn't change... You should, but why would you change the things you got in the relationship for the person with? Dean surfaces in Denver out of nowhere. He's been ducking some of these girls. Jack is able to drop his big news that he had one of his small books published. So Jack is friggin' meeting his goals. They're They're all at Camille's place. They're starting to have, like, morning beers, and then Camille finally kicks them out. Too much fun. While she was throwing a tantrum telling all the guys to get out, Dean hid in Camille's bathroom and saw a painting that Ed's girl made which revealed that all the girls were talking about the guys behind their back and how crazy they think they are. It should not be a surprise at all. You've ever seen those studies where it's like 60% of what women talk about a day is men? It's pretty creepy. Dean had to see the evidence to believe in it. Now that uh, Jack has... A published book, he is analyzing everything like an author would. He thinks Dean lost his thumb in prison, and this was his uh, final development. This is when he learned to care about nothing, because, you know, nothing cares about you. But at least Dean still has some principles. Ooh, man, I've met some, like, nihilistic people that the world would be better without out in California who have really just given up. And you're saying Dean is just giving up out here. He's just riding the rails because he has nothing better to do. But he sticks to the principles that he keeps. Like I'm saying, he the reason whenever he is interacting with other people, the loner and disappearing man that is that he is, when he is social, he wants to make everybody feel better. He will never try to like these people that just need to be around someone else to leech off of their fucking vitality. That is an unhealthy addiction. You have an addiction to people. Like, that's the more mainstream view that people hold and is what pushes Dean to the fringe when he's really more like us than everyone. Or there's more Dean in us than we like to believe. Dean and Jack really have nowhere to go. They're just chilling in Denver. Jack is on Dean's vibe right now, and they're like, you know, maybe we go to New York, take stock of everything. Dean was telling him his crazy ideas of... I've always wanted to go to italy if i had nowhere left to go and they're just getting crazy drunk on market street just <laughs> projecting <laughs> crazy futures having those fun bar nights doing fake businesses together dean again at this point is trying to find his dad in denver and the uh biggest lead that he gets in the book comes up now he might be in a county jail in larimer never gets to the bottom of it in the book we'll leave it there cool tip for you the biggest supermax prison in the world is in colorado it's up of the mountains, imagine if you escaped. doesn't matter you get eaten by a grizzly bear. They stopped at Ed's house to pick him up before the next uh, leg of the road, and <laughs> Ed's girl is not having it. Her name is Galatea. this is we know Ed is a player. this is his bottom bitch though, and she he's letting her get under his skin. Like they know now, all the girls have been talking about Dean behind his back. And as soon as he shows up to pick up Ed for a fun trip, she's going, You have no morals, blah, 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 blah. Which we know, Dean has no earthly possessions. The only thing he does have is morals. Mary Lou is going, You know, some people want to have a serious life. You just want to have fun. Why not both? Porque no los dos. She brought up a story of how There was a room full of girls in that dark bar we went to a couple months ago, and you charmed all of them. And he's like, What's your point? We all had fun sex. This is a victimless crime. (laughs) She tries to say, You know, Dean's not serious about anything, but everyone knows, like all the guys know his character. She's not telling the truth. She's just trying to be the girl to change him without even being in a relationship. She goes on to, you know, push the girl power. Me and Camille will kill you if we ever see you again. And Galatea's rant has gone a complete 180 degrees. She's calling him the amoral one when she just threatened to kill him. And Jack had heard enough. Jack is a voice of truth as a writer and couldn't stand to sit in this situational fucking absurdism anymore. The only thing, Dean tried to inject some sort of doubt into her binary mind. He's going, you know, Dean is going to be dead someday and probably someday soon. And she goes, the sooner he's dead, the better. And Sal drops some knowledge. She's going, but he's not dead right now. And I bet you, you'll want to know where he goes next. And that's because he's got the secret. The secret we're all busting to find. And it might split his head wide open, but it's what fractures your mind. Some Dostoevsky there. He's going, I know you're looking for the peace to make you happy. And Dean honestly has found it more than all of us. (laughs) And like, this was way too layered of a point for her to get she already put dean in the crazy box you know if you're living a passionless life you're never going to understand people who is on this vibrational plane as dean (laughs) people just really want to be able to put you into little boxes and cross you out in their mind and that was the really big part of this book and jack is going i paid this price as well as a writer a lot of people crossed me out because i did this travel store sort of lifestyle (laughs) this is fucking riddled with the Human Condition. It's a great novel. And this did inject a little bit of doubt into Jack's mind, but he saw that Ed being under her mystique. He's getting the pussy. He's like, oh my god, I think by hanging out with Dean, I was just wasting my life. Okay, what else would he have been doing? Did, like, uh, we're, This is Ed Dunkel, the Pole King, the Lord of Sex. <laughs> if he didn't have all those memories, he would probably... <laughs> He would have uh, left Mary Lou the same as Remy did. Jack thought it was sad to see in Dean's, the closest thing he has to a home Denver, the friends that he once thought he had made are pushing him out. No home anymore. Chapter 7, Road is Life. The boys are spending a couple of their last dollars up on 27th Street, one of those hip bars up by the railroad tracks that is being gentrified as we speak. (laughs) It <laughs> was being gentrified in the 40s, too, it sounds like. They are both trying to contact a travel bureau to get a car to beat it out of Denver, which doesn't wind up going through. And the big uh, thing here was that they had to wind up stealing a car. And <laughs> comes out when they're leaving Denver. Dean is like, yeah, uh, Jack, don't tell anyone this, but when I was a teenager, I would steal 500 cars a year. This is the reason that he was in and out of the criminal justice system. It's um, like he does grow up. He might have a learning disability and he's learning really slow, but he is changing his morals slowly even to fit the societal standards where it's not going to be this immediate flip of a switch like Galatea thought it would be. So you see, as Ed and Galatea changed rapidly, probably influenced by the programming of society, you ever heard this one? If you don't program your mind, it'll be programmed for you. Ed and Galatea got the mass consensus upload where Dean stayed true to his character and one of the doldrums were should we let the adventure die within us for the sake of society should we let the adventure die within us for the sake of society it's a big question Jack is asking these bigger questions of the 1950s which is supposed to be looked back at as the you know, conformist, uh duop diner, poodle skirt generation where everything was dandy. Not really. You had these kids who were so far suppressing these feelings that it came out in these extreme ways. This reminds me of this quote that it was on, like, a Hispanic church when I was living in L.A. And I looked it up because it, like, sometimes you come across a piece of information that seems like an omen. You came across it at the right place at the right time. It was a Norman Cousins quote. The tragedy of life is not death, but what we let die inside us while we're alive. Dean is the living embodiment of that quote. And if you could stay true to yourself as long as possible, you're going to keep on to that secret that's splitting all of our minds. They stole that car on the way up. Dean was telling him, Jack, all about his favorite hikes that him and his dad used to go on. Long's Peak, Pike's Peak. Mount Evans. What's the one down in Colorado? Mount Cheyenne, the one with the nuclear missile command inside of it. Look into it and the tunnels under DIA. When they wound up crashing that stolen car, they had to go up to Greeley, Colorado to get it fixed. They walked like 10 miles in the middle of the plains sweating to try to find someone to tow them. Luckily, they found another very nice farm family. And again, another son there wanted to hit the road with them. Before uh, heading south, when they have this little farm boy, Dean, Jack, and all them go over to Chicago, which isn't too far of a haul from Denver just because Dean wanted to see it. And they're having the best time ever dancing to jazz. They wound up going to some underground... um, pianist bars and dean jumped on top of the piano at one point and was singing country music sing alongs that all the people in the bar were swinging back and forth to one of the um guys uh what do they call him it was the just a big freaking jazz player back at the time came up to him after the bar and was like that was some professional level shit man we haven't had this crowd moving like that in a long time you got it So this is everything Dean has probably ever wanted to hear. And it's from someone who has some artistic credibility. And maybe that'll give him the confidence to write his book in the future. A little bit of a hint for you. You know, it wasn't some chick telling him that he's nothing or like Jack's girl leaving him that get them to write the book. It's other people at that level motivating each other. It's like if you go for a walk with someone, Either that person's going to pick up to your pace, or you got to slow down for them. And it's the whole point of being on the road, like Jack and uh, Dean were the perfect fit. And as you go out there, you're going to find more people who are better matches. And so what are we doing? We're living on the road now. Dean is floating around with two kids on two coasts and no money. Brings us to Chapter 8, The End of the Road. Jack has his book Money coming in. As we learned, he was able to get a smaller novel published. And he's getting real antsy back in New York at this time. And it's around summer, half a year since they were just chilling together. It's the first time Dean is in New York. And Jack set him up with a little bit of a job. He was a valet on 40th and Madison getting into his same old antics. And they were realizing he was kind of losing an edge or some sort. Dean was not as Dean as he used to be. He was mentioning getting a farmhouse with this girl, Inez, in Pennsylvania and uh you know popping out some kids (laughs) he's going are you sure this is your dream is someone getting in your ear here or have i jack programmed you with this uh valet job that you're now just giving way to whatever fault comes you're either living or you're dying you know i'm saying dean actually talked him out of it this is what friends were for he would have turned into the Remy or the Ed dunkel who was unfulfilled with his life, and Jack is saying, "Don't stop looking for what you came here for. You really want to fucking be on your deathbed and not know what your full potential was?" They need one last ride together to try to find whatever it is. They head back to Denver. They start doing a little bit of drinking and on West Colfax, five points everywhere, just to try to get the life force flowing in them again. You got to get out there to start living it and get back on that. Lifestyle. Jack stayed at Tim Gray's apartment again, where he stayed the first time, and there was a week of parties in Denver. They met up with the babe for a couple nights. Dean met a new girl called the Denver Doll, who they hit it off for about a month together. They wouldn't have stayed there that long if he didn't meet her. And this girl, Jack was friends with as well, let Jack know that Dean just spent all of his life savings on a car, And Jack is like, this is a really bad sign. This was not even all of his savings. And he's probably going off the rails. This could be one of the craziest legs of the journey. They do see Ed Dunkel one more time. They had a reunion at their house, and they noticed that Ed was drinking more than ever. He seemed a little bit less like them himself even when he used to be around Gala because she was a cool girl she just wanted the security it's like these mob wives she didn't care if he cheated he was always hitting on girls and they noticed at this party he was getting so drunk he didn't even care to try to spit some game this guy lost his passion he was like there's always these characters in these books who there's the lady killer that was Mr. Dunkel and he gave up on that and it's manifesting in drinking They all go to the Windsor Bar, which is an old famous hotel for the gold rush. (laughs) By the end of the night, Jack was like, Jack said there were 50 beers on the table. Again, everybody was singing bar shanties and whatnot. It's a picture-perfect moment. One of the, the last time we'll have the entire crew together. With this new car, Jack and Dean plan out. Their final journey, and (laughs) Dean has always wanted to leave America. He wants the final destination to be Mexico City. They have a 17-mile trip laid out, goes through Texas, and this is supposed to be the grandest of all, the trip to end all trips. They stop at his cousin, Dean's cousin in Denver. The kid's name is Stan, to do some errands, and Stan's grandpa was going don't leave me, Stan. You, you can't leave me. Oh, you got to stay here forever. Take care of me. That was the tone that they were giving in the book. And it's unhealthy. I mean, it's fucking humane. You're supposed to take care of your grandparents. But they're like, you're a young guy, Stan. You got to get out there and see the world. He probably would have resented his grandfather if he never left. It's probably one of the points. After seeing the family, they knew that um, their little son Stan was going to be in good hands they somehow trusted their only boy with a one-thumbed hitchhiker and a writer <laughs> so they turn the snout of the car south then they start headed toward castle rock colorado as the rocky mountain views are now on their right side they start to disappear as they get down into texasville there's a tiny little strip of oklahoma that separates colorado and texas They got Dean's road stories going again. They're all telling about how when they used to go on drives with their parents as kids, how they used to play Running Man. This is On the Road. It's a road trip book. Remember when you were a kid and you were driving somewhere and you used to pretend that there was a little guy running along the side of the road with your fingers? Or they would say, Dean up here was going, I used to pretend I had a giant scythe and I was cutting down every single tree and vegetation I drove by. With his uh, psychotic tendencies slipping out again. (laughs) he is the grim reaper inventful part of the drive in north texas was stan got bit with some sort of a bug hit them like you know how your windshield fills up with bug splats they were in a convertible so this kid stan got bit by a bee probably he had bees bite you and his arm blew up to the size of like who was that guy who had one gimp arm i don't know he had some hulk hogan biceps going and luckily they were just like we're gonna we're gonna let it go out. We're not losing any road time, so they probably should not have trusted their sweet little boy Stan with these two kids. The car's starting to break down. They're driving less than forty miles per hour and they just get south of Rio Grande, the giant river, when uh they did get <laughs> Stan a pen uh penicillin shot. So at worst comes to worst, I guess they are looking out for him. The boys here are finally at sea level. <laughs> For the first time in Dean's life, probably. He doesn't spend any time by the ocean or in the desert. They pass the border and finally see a few guys in sombreros. If Stan was the only one who had ever been out of America, Jack and Dean are getting more experienced by the mile marker. Dean lulls the guys to sleep with their stories as he drives most of the time. People love it. Sal was trying to sleep, but he can't drown out Dean, They're about 700 miles away from Mexico City when every speed sign is in kilometers per hour. They really feel like they're in the middle of nowhere. Like if the car breaks down, they are fucked. I mean, no AAA to get you out of Death Valley there. Everybody they pass is pointing fingers at them. Oh, look at those green gringos in that Ford, man. That's American. They see Monterey over the horizon. One of the best road trips, they were down in the Mexican swamps. It's like a jungly swamp, a type of biome that none of them have ever been in. And Dean was like getting out of the car, doing a Mexican fighter type of scream and rolling around in the mud of the swamp. And he's uh, symbolism again. Jack is going, Dean has become the jungle. As they were getting towards the southeast end of Monterey, they saw some cute girls and stopped the car so Dean could holler at them. And this guy, Victor, rolls up and was like, hey, what are you doing to my girls? And they realized what the deal is. They let Victor get in the car, and this guy winds up being a complete G. He just, second he gets to the car, he rolls up a brown paper bag joint. They called it the world's biggest bomber. <laughs> and they said they got high for the next two days until they reached mexico city victor with those girls before he took them back to their whorehouse they were playing mambo music really loud all of the girls were drinking they were there to party the three guys stan is with a 15 year old venezuelan girl while 20 people are watching from the windows sal and dean are upstairs going back to back eiffel towering chicks you know it's getting real dirty down in the mexican brothel Victor is jumping up and down, saying this is the best day of my brothel we've ever had. Dean and Stan are switching chicks. It keeps getting grotier. They uh, wind up stacking up a $36 bill, which is like, what was that? Probably three works worth of wages at that farm that Jack was on. They um, (laughs) leave this place, are stumbling out like it was just some Arabian porno hashish daydream. Their scrotums are shriveled up prunes. (laughs) <laughs> they got one city in between called Gregoria. Victor is like sad to see them go. He's crying, and Dean's like, "I will be back, please, Victor. I loved this. This was the best place in the world I've ever been. This is perfect for Dean. Imagine he looks like a victor he This is like a where the path could split if he really wanted to just live with no purpose, he could become victor or he could be his fulfilled self, the old bull Lee, married, living on the levee, writing some stories. The boys are pulling down the jungle of Limon, which is high up in the mountains, 5,000 feet, mile-high city. It is the final stretch until Mexico City. They're stopping on the side of the road and picking up bananas. Every person they see is blistering in the heat and Dean drops a doldrum. He's going, these people are born in sweat and die in sweat. Imagine how that changes their soul. You know, it's pretty interesting. It's hardened people. You're not going to get that level of wisdom out of a weak bitch like Galatea. As they go down, he compared going into Mexico City just like coming east on I-70 through the mountains until you finally see Denver on the skyline. And they pull up, and they got crowded cafes, kids are playing soccer, grand theaters, people playing mariachi on the side of the road. They go to Reforma Boulevard to drink in a bar where an ancient Aztec river flows under the floorboards. They're seeing some real Incan, Mayan, dope shit. All week they were ordering tortillas with mystery meats, getting to meet the local escorts, (laughs) learning to play the flute. Jack feels like he's in a delirium here, but it's a good one, one that he could pick up for a while. Unfortunately, Jack winds up getting dysentery. He is (laughs) the Oregon Trail, the original on the road. He has some shitty water there and is shitting his brains out for four days. And what happens? Dean winds up ditching Stan and Jack. Dean leaves them in Mexico City, the end of the road. He totally ditches them with his car. The boys are successfully able to hitchhike home, Stan makes it to Colorado, Jack to New York. We're in the endgame now, Throughout letters that Jack and Dean are sending each other. Dean wound up going back to Gregorio, was that the city, where Victor was, and he ran the brothel with him for a while. He took his new flute skills and romanced a bunch of the girls, got a couple other girls. He took a bus back to San Francisco to see Camille and apologized for everything, you know. He's a Dean, three times married, two times divorced, and now living with his second wife. At this point in time, it's around half a year after their crazy trip to Mexico. All of the realizations are setting in. Jack thinks he found a girl that he might really like, again, towards the end of the road for him. And for the first time, Jack receives a letter from Dean that isn't just a... Chicken scratch. This is who I hooked up with. This is the trouble I gotten with this weekend. Dean wrote him a two-thousand-word letter that was supposed to be the outline for the story that he wanted to write. And now this doesn't go anywhere. There's no books published by Dean Moriarty. You know, I would have that on Nick's nonfiction. He didn't wind up ever going through with the book. We don't know what happens to Dean, but that's what happens to people like this in real life. They live hard and then they disappear, hopefully for the better. We learned about that Chris Langdon guy and outliers. You fucking wind up just going to a farm and disassociating, or you be an old bull Lee and try to pass on whatever sort of wisdom that you've come upon to people that look like they're on the same path as you. This little manuscript that Dean wrote was all about his younger years in Denver, and Jack is saying, you need to keep up with this. This is the most therapeutic thing that you can do, man. This is going to get you to some sort of normality if that's what you want at this point. And that's all he needed. Uh, the friends they are, they've made it thousands of miles together. Jack was able to coach him to a smaller level of success. So Dean shows up having to thank Jack for all the inspiration. They both inspired each other, told each other to write. He needed some more discipline from Jack and Jack needed more craziness from him. As Dean is in um New York for the last time, they go on a double date with Jack's new girl to an opera. As Dean would say, they have some good kicks for the last time. And for the last time he has to watch one of these friends disappear over the horizon. Dean vanishes. In a cab, in a New York City cab, into nowhere. And that night, Jack went to the top of his high-rise and watches the sunset over New Jersey and the Hudson. A picture-perfect view of America. And he likes to picture Dean driving somewhere on this fucking God-given country out there while he has hit the end of his road. It's like that chat with Old Bull Lee. What are you traveling for? It is a question that reveals more about yourself than you know. It's the space in between. This is where life thrives, and life on the road perpetuates this. Thank you, guys, for staying tuned for Jack Kerouac's On the Road, an absolutely legendary read. I'm looking forward to future pieces of his, and I'm happy I got to share some more personal information with you guys as a host. We are on a crazy journey here, and I am like <laughs> very aware that I am on the Dean Moriarty track, And we went over some deeper points about the sanity and conformity and those bipolar opposites and the gray that you need to survive in. Thank you guys again before I get to preaching. Next month's book is going to be War is a Racket. And while we teased this during our last month's show, it is all because... ( convincinglyrations) Three times a month, we are going ladies and gentlemen... The 1st, the 10th, and the 20th, you are getting a NYX Nonfiction video. That is right, a podcast. Make sure you are subscribed and smash that motherfucking like button. bam, Yeah, boy. <laughs> I hope you guys are brave enough to embark on your adventures and hold on to some of that knowledge. And you will have me to speak you through three times a week those road trips from here on out. Love you guys. I'll see you soon. Peace.